Hello, you guys, and welcome back. I have got a great interview for you today. I am talking to Greg Bauk from Barker Rinker Seacat Architecture, and we're talking about trends in recreation centers. So whether you're in planning or programming, aquatics or fitness, today's episode is for you. And a lot of the trends here, they're specific to recreation centers, but they can be expanded beyond that because we're talking about how technology and generational preferences go into the changing trends in parks and rec. I know that you guys are going to enjoy this episode and find a lot of value. So let me tell you a little bit about who Craig is. So Craig is the CEO of Barker Rinker Seacat Architecture. He is a extremely talented and creative designer and he brings all of his areas of expertise to areas of project management and graphic design and he's a frequent speaker and author in the recreation active aging and aquatic facility design industry. We actually met at NRPA with, where he was speaking and uh, I knew that I wanted to talk to him because he's got a wealth of experience. So enjoy this episode you guys. Please share it with anyone that might find value and let me know what you think about it. I've been getting a lot of emails recently and it is the absolute best to hear from you. And you can always email me at Becky at Becky Talks Parks. I promise I will respond to you because you are the reason why I created this. Thanks and have an awesome day. Hello everyone and welcome to Becky Talks Parks. This is a podcast for parks and recreation professionals who are passionate about raising the bar in the field and in their communities. Just a quick note before we begin, there are some moments in this podcast that sound like they got cut out um, and that happened while we were recording and I tried to mesh those together but if if it sounds a little bit weird during some parts of it that's why but think it'll be worth it so just hang tight welcome back everyone to the becky talks parks podcast it is a pleasure to be here today i am talking with craig bauk and he is the ceo of barker rinker seacat architecture craig is a frequent speaker and author in the recreation active aging and aquatic facility design industry and we recently met at the 2018 annual NRPA conference and I wanted to talk with him today about the five trends and recreation center architecture that he is seeing. So we'll get to those five trends in just a minute but before we get to that Craig can you tell us a little bit more about who you are what you're passionate about in the parks recreation field and a little bit about BRS? Sure Becky thanks for thanks for having me and uh, it was a pleasure uh, meeting you you know um, that NRPA conference is such a, a boost uh, to me and I think to many other people every year it just energizes me and, and gives us an opportunity to meet folks like yourself that we might not have had the opportunity to cross paths with and uh, just just thrilled so I'm glad that all worked out um, yes uh, Barker Rinker Seacat we're an architecture firm and we focus on the planning and design of community recreation centers um, I know it seems like might seem like a narrow focus but we have found that um, it really demands a lot of our attention and we've been able to do this around the country and so it has been plenty to sustain not only our kind of passion and interests but our um, the reason we are so interested in this particular uh, 
building type is that it is probably, in our opinion, the one piece of public architecture that's um, that really touches everybody in the community on a continuous basis throughout their lives. From the very youngest to the very oldest, they can all find value, whether it be education, recreation, socialization, whatever it might be, it is the one facility that they would invest in that they would get direct benefit from potentially throughout the entire time they're in a community. And so that gets us very excited. The other reason we love it is because to design these facilities well, we, we have to pay attention to the uniqueness of each community. There's no one design, there's no one solution that's going to work for uh, every community. You, you, couldn't, you can't cookie cutter a solution. And so there's a design challenge that we find very intriguing and exciting, even though some of the components that you might see in these facilities have similarities, you know, it might have a pool, it might have a gym. The exact configuration, the size, and the way they're utilized can be very unique. And then, of course, the architecture that wraps this and describes the community um, and is part of its identity making is always unique. And so um, we've been in business since 1975, and for the last, I would say, maybe 35 years or so, these community recreation centers have provided us an opportunity to meet about 250 different communities around the country and help them in the design and planning of their recreation centers. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're bringing a wealth of experience. Um, and I'm certainly interested in it. And I'm sure our listeners are, too. And what we're going to talk about today is... Since this could be so broad, we're going to talk about the five different categories. So planning, programming, aquatics, fitness, and operations. Mm -hmm. So do you want to start out with the, the top trend that you're seeing right now in terms of planning? Absolutely. So obviously there are many, many things that we could talk about. And when we talk about trends, I, I, it's hard to say what is the most important. But here are some ones that we are seeing over and over again in our conversations around the country. And in terms of planning, one of the biggest ones right now is um, the trend is a movement away from separate senior centers to developing comprehensive multi-generation centers. And there's a couple of uh, things to note about this is that for many communities, this is not an easy discussion. Traditionally, uh, seniors have often been given their own facility. They've been predominantly passive facilities, but they have created an identity for a whole generation of folks. And when we think about out the future of where oftentimes there are several factors that are changing people's opinions about whether we should continue this this model of separate facilities or reconsider a new opportunity and really what's driving it are, are you know, three major things the first thing is is that the seniors themselves don't like to be called seniors as we've all heard um, people would much rather be considered active adults but what they want to do um, in their retirement years or as, as they get older are becoming very similar to the things that all generations want to do. They're no longer just passive activities. They still want the community spaces, so meetings and classes and things, but now they want more fitness spaces, weights, cardio, functional training spaces, group fitness classes. Not only the spaces, but they want access to the people who are the best at teaching those classes. And then, of course, aquatics. They want warm water uh, aquatics because that is they, we, has been proven to be one of the most uh, inclusive activities that older adults can participate in, get benefit from, and very much enjoy. So that's 
a big thing. It's so, so now much more of the things they want to do and the facilities that they require are becoming much more aligned with the rest of the population. Um, the second thing that's driving it is that these, these so-called seniors are much more fit than they've ever been before, or, and they're much more interested in becoming fit. And so they want to participate with like-minded and likability people. And sometimes these folks are much younger than what you would stereotypically call seniors. So it's no longer about separating people by age, but it's more about finding opportunities for people to participate with similar abilities. And so the idea of putting everybody who's um, in a, over, over a certain age into an isolated facility is no longer working in terms of the way people want to spend their time. And then the last thing that's driving it is pure economics. And how do we better use our public resource? Obviously, the money we have to build these facilities is one piece of it. And the money we have to operate it is a big deal. Um, but it's also the people resources. You know, how many instructors uh, can we really afford as a community? Uh, how many uh, pool technicians can we afford, et cetera? And then also land is becoming more scarce. And the, uh, the idea of um, being more respective of how we use land. And so building multiple facilities creates a lot of challenges from an operations point of view and a resource drain point of view. So just pure economics is driving people to consider a different solution for serving all ages in their community and moving away from having a lots of multiple facilities and doing comprehensive regional-based facilities that serve all, a multi-generational facility that serves as all, I guess, is what the trend is. Absolutely, and I've heard of those, but I also have wondered about the implications for the programs in those facilities. Mm -hmm. Seniors very much may need a different set of fitness equipment, instructors, all those things that you were talking about. So maybe that leads into that programming trend. What are you seeing in terms of uh, the top trend in programming? Yeah, the truth is, is that, yes, there are, there are times when you might classify what people need by their age as seniors. You know, a seniors need maybe more space between their fitness equipments because they have walkers, you know, for example. That's a stereotype. Um, but the truth is, is that... Um, it's, we're, we're finding people of all ages that might need to have different ability levels of kinds of classes. It may not be necessarily that someone is less mobile. It may be also that they have less ability. And so they would both, somebody with less mobility and somebody with less ability may actually be in the same class. So you see what I mean? It's no longer just a segregation by age. It's really about what do you want to accomplish in the class. And so that's really the programming question. So to jump into the programming trend, what we're seeing here, again, isn't so much about trying to isolate age groups or um, that or, or, or even trying to be accommodating that way. I think the number one trend that was certainly important, but the number one trend that I'm seeing is that people are recognizing that to get maximum benefit, from building uh, these facilities, they need to be as uh, create as much multifunction uh, possibilities as they can. So think of it like a, a Swiss Army knife, right? So each space has to be able to do perform multiple functions throughout the day. Most is probably built to facilitate basketball, volleyball, um, maybe badminton. 
But today we're multitasking these in many different ways. Pickleball has become, you know, one of the favored indoor activities these days. Uh, we need to find ways to accommodate that. But beyond that, what we're seeing is that we can use more kinds of activities that maybe traditionally weren't considering. Some of this is being um, made available by new technologies. There is a company called Lou Interactive, that's L-U Interactive, that has uh, refined a projection system that can be cast onto one of these large double height walls in our gymnasium spaces. And the way these work is that they become completely interactive. So you can use these walls and then you can throw balls against them. You can interact with them in, um, by touching them. And the, the, the net effect is that you create the gym. The gym becomes a giant video game and it's an interactive video game. Now, I know that some people might think, oh, well, gosh, you know, maybe that's only going to uh, appeal to maybe uh, youth. Um, and that's true. And it's a fantastic opportunity for summer camps. But the truth is, is that you can do fitness classes too. Imagine taking medicine balls and throwing them up onto the wall and creating scores each time that they touch. Maybe using the wall as a giant timer so that you can have multiple fitness stations around the gym. And the timer is the thing that uh, you interact with. Um, to get a really good idea of this, I, uh, I invite you to just get on the internet and look for a YouTube video called Lou Interactive, and it'll change your, it'll, I guarantee it'll completely change your idea of how you might use the gymnasium space. Another idea of how people are trying to become multi, more multi-use with the gymnasium space is that all of the edge space now, that space between the safety zone of the basketball court and the wall, is now for many people becoming their functional training space. They're building multiple stations around the gymnasium where they can attach different sort of functional training apparatus. That might be attachment points for things like TRX or maybe battle ropes or spaces where they can apply medicine balls. The point is, is that the gym now becomes a very large functional training space and expands the opportunity of what could traditionally have been contained within a fitness area and or a group fitness room and allows a whole other group of people to use a space that traditionally wouldn't have been considering or volleyball players, etc. The other thing I think that's happening within these rooms is that they've been challenged historically because of acoustics. Uh, many gyms have a divider curtain that comes down and separates the basketball courts. And I think some of our clients often think that a gym would be a fantastic place to hold uh, body pump classes or aerobics classes or maybe even yoga classes. But the challenge with these spaces has always been the acoustics. Whatever, happening, whatever is happening in the adjacent space or maybe in the running track above has always interrupted the opportunity to have a really uh, productive class. Well, there's another bit of technology that people are borrowing from the, actually the, the nightclub industry, and they're bringing it to recreation centers to solve this. And what it's called, and this is sort of the word we use, is sort of the, the street name for it, is called silent disco. What that means is that basically uh, in a nightclub setting, you'll be given a pair of headphones when you walk into a, a nightclub. In the nightclub, there might be three or four different DJs playing different genres of music. These headphones have a button on the side of them where you can select which DJ you want to listen to. And 
it's a crazy experience because you'll see a whole group of people on the dance floor, each with a different color, you know, protruding on the head, headphones that they're wearing, indicating the different channel that they're listening to. And they'll be dancing to a different beat, and yet they're all enjoying it together. But you can't hear anything because everyone has headphones on. Now, fast forward to the fitness industry and to public recreation centers, and they're starting to use this technology to run spin classes, yoga classes, fitness classes, because of the same opportunity for benefit. The instructor can be heard. There can be multiple classes going on at the same time. There can be multiple uh, different kinds of music or instructions all given out, and yet they're not interrupted at all by what's going on. So saying this is a benefit for people who want to take their fitness classes outside to do their spinning class on a rooftop, um, but it's on a very busy street. There's, there's noise from buses and ambulances and things that would be very disruptive. But with this silent disco technology, it's a very uh, immersive experience for the people up on the roof and they get to be outside as well as having a really uh, fantastic class. So that's the trend. The trend is to try to figure out how to use better use the spaces that were typically underutilized during a traditional, uh, you know, uh, day in the life of a recreation center. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you brought up the silent disco theory and kind of applied <laughs> it because I was recently in Las Vegas and they actually have programs out there. I think it's called Silent Savasana and it has taken off. Uh -huh. um, and it's, yes. uh, I think, 50 to 100 people come out every week that's and right. put on their headphones. And it's an, a very immersive experience. And that's what makes the difference. You know, the other added advantage of this, tying back to our active adults, is that many of us are becoming harder and harder of hearing. <laughs> yep. And so we, 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 part of the reason we may not participate is because of that. And unless it's very loud or very directed towards us, or unless our hearing aids can tune into a system, we sometimes won't participate. And this removes that barrier. And as you say, you might have 50 to 100 people all hearing equally well with a system like this. So. Yes, tons of potential there. So let's move on to aquatics now. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the trend. Oh, aquatics. aquatics. Yes, that's one of our favorite things to talk about. Aquatics, and there, here's the reason. Aquatics has this wonderful um, quality in that aquatics may be the most inclusive, right? I mean, it's the one thing that people can do um, throughout their entire life. They can do it no matter their ability in many respects. And it has many therapeutic fit and fitness quality qualities as well as wonderful socialization and recreation qualities. So the theme here or the trend is how can we maximize participation in our aquatic environments? And specifically, I'm thinking about pools that are what we call flat water pools or rectangular pools or lap pools, basically. These tend to be the ones that are the most underutilized. Unless you've got an incredible swim uh, team program with master swimming and maybe participation with multiple clubs and or high schools, there are many times when that lap pool is underutilized. And there's a couple of reasons that I think um, it's worth considering. But, um, but the main one is this. We need to reconsider, and this is the trend, reconsider even the way we talk about these kind of spaces. Instead of calling them the lap pool or the competitive pool, why don't we start considering calling them a liquid gym? And here's what I mean by that. When we think about a gym, 
um, we think about those people that are very much interested in, in fitness and maybe challenging themselves. And that's a, that's a large group of people. If we can figure out a way to get those folks who maybe didn't grow up as competitive swimmers, maybe don't feel comfortable swimming laps, or maybe quite frankly are bored uh, by that activity. If we can get them to see that pool as not something that they don't participate in, but maybe as a new gymnasium space or a new fitness space, I think we can do a lot to maximize participation. So here's some ideas that we're seeing that get at this trend. Obviously, there are some that you maybe are already familiar with, and that is things like um, uh, stand-up paddleboard yoga. Now, when you think about that, you know, um, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that it's really, but on an unstable platform like a stand-up paddleboard. And so those people who are wanting to get better at it now have a completely new venue to challenge themselves with. Um, and it gets people who are, you know, you know, again, maybe not thinking about the pool as a space for them as something that becomes very interesting to them. Here's another kind of side note about, I have to wear a bathing suit. <laughs> A lot of people will do their stand-up uh, paddleboard yoga just in their normal workout gear. And it again, sometimes it's the bathing suit that keeps people from participating. I know it sounds kind of funny, but it, it's true. Another thing to consider is underwater hockey. If you've got a big six, eight-lane pool, even better if it's a 50-meter 50, 50 pool with lots of space, we're finding enough taken people interested in playing underwater hockey. In fact, um, where our home office is here in Colorado, we've got one of the largest communities in the country playing this now, and it is incredibly fun to watch. I, I have to admit that I didn't know a lot about it until these folks started, um, you know, having some of their regional and national meets here, and it became it became such a newsworthy event. Underwater hockey is enjoyed by both men and women of all swimming abilities. Um, and it's basically hockey played on the floor of the pool. The nice thing is, is that they do have dasher boards, as you can imagine that, to keep the puck in play. But the dasher boards are only about, oh, less than a foot high, and they fold flat against the floor of the pool and when they're not in use. The floor, um, which is type floor that gets placed on the bottom of the pool so that it slides the puck well, is configured and colored in such a way that it exactly matches the pool bottom. So when, when this isn't being played, there's no change in effect to the people who enjoy the lap swimming and it doesn't impede anything uh, about the pool operations itself. So I would encourage you to go on YouTube and if you haven't seen this, just watch a couple videos about underwater hockey you rest with how um, exciting it is and how you can get a whole other group of people enjoying the pool in a new way um, that isn't just lap swimming some other ideas just very quickly there are many many but some other ideas that we think are fun are if you can start to think about some things that are done outside that are particularly challenging and that attract maybe that tween uh, tweener age group or maybe young adult age group that are not only fun to do but really fun to watch then I think you're going to find some benefit one of the things that we've been trying recently is we've been starting to install slack lines across our pools so slack lines are traditionally done in parks you know between trees or things like that and it's a thin line that's stretched across almost like a tightrope and you try to walk across it and balance along the way uh, the difference here is that when you fall, you fall into the pool. <laughs> but we have found that it's incredibly difficult to do, and we usually run uh, ropes across that you can hold on to as you're learning, but it's incredibly fun to try. 
And it's, it's very fun to watch. And so the crowds of people who enjoy watching others try it are part of what we're after, right? We're trying to change the opinions of what a pool is all about. It's not just about lap swimming and playing Marco Polo, but it could be about fitness and some physical challenges, much like the slack line. Along the same lines, I think it's fair to consider the, you know, the craze that's been hitting the um, fitness world, and that is obstacle courses. Uh, and, you know, you have to credit the American Ninja Warrior uh, on the uh, TV show as probably inspiring most of us. If you haven't seen that, you just, again, check that out. It's unbelievable. But it's basically creating obstacle courses um, that allow you to get better and better because you can increase the challenge uh, of the obstacles themselves. So here's the thing that we might be able to do. We can take these obstacle courses and we can hang them from the ceiling of the pool. Now, there's a, they've been doing this in, in Europe for a couple of years now. Uh, I would Google a, um, uh, a video called Aqua Cross, right? Aqua and C-R-O-S-S, -S, to give you a sense of it. And what this is, is basically imagine taking two lanes of your lap pool, having a obstacle course, which is connected by ropes, which descends out of the ceiling. It just drops down with a motorized winch, and then it can be as close or as high away from the pool surface as you need it to be depending on the depth of the pool and safety factors, et cetera. But it's absolutely interchangeable. Every obstacle can be changed out. So it can be very simple or it can be very, very challenging, just like the TV show, American Ninja Warrior. But again, you know, you fall into the water if you, if you uh, fail on a particular challenge. Now, the other thing that's fun, of course, is set up at the same time. The idea is that you would hit a button at the beginning to start your timer, jump in against your competitor, you would both go through the same challenge course, and then you'd hit the, the stop uh, button at the end. Um, so what is this all about? A, it's fun to do because you can get better and better the more practice you do. B, it's fun to watch, uh, just like any competition is fun to watch. And C, it's, it's, it's utilizing a portion of the pool that might be underutilized. It's not taking over all the pool. You can still have lap swimming going on Jason, but it changes the way people think about using the pool and it brings potentially new users who might normally not consider it. And then um, just some other quick ones, just, just uh, again, we're trying to get different people in the pool and one that I think some of you may have tried, but if you haven't, it's worth considering because we've had a lot of success with this. Very, very simple. It's the idea of bringing um, the, uh, the log rolling <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest and from our friends up in Hayward, Wisconsin, where they have the international or, you know, the international lumberjack championships, bringing log rolling into, you know, the mainstream. Um, so there are products out there now where you can actually, uh, roll a log by yourself or against a competitor and you can change the speed with which that log will roll. You can make it so it doesn't spin quite as fast so that you can actually learn how to do this and improve your skill over time. So there can be competitions with this. It can be just friendly, uh, fun, uh, but it's incredibly difficult and a great core workout. And so just having one or two of these in your pool, again, maybe, maybe get some people in the doors that were uh, previously not interested in being uh, in the pool. So that's our aquatic trends. It's how to create a liquid gym. I love that. It completely changes my perception of what a typical pool is and how much fun it could be just to watch all of those activities. So that's amazing. And so next up, I can only imagine what, what's going on in the fitness world. Tell us about the fitness trend. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, what we're seeing with, with fitness is uh, a bit of a surprise to us, actually, but um, at least it was initially. But once we started considering it and thinking about our own situations and our own families, it became less and less of a surprise. And basically, the trend is, is that not one size fits all anymore. And what I mean by that is that people are really seeking individualized experience a group. So, so here's what I mean, and here's where it's starting to manifest itself. I mentioned the, um, uh, the American Ninja Warrior thing, you know, the obstacle course kind of thing. From a fitness point of view, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, moms and, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to do this myself kind of way, are building some obstacle courses uh, for their kids uh, to participate in. And the reason they're doing it is because for many years there, there wasn't an opportunity to do anything like this uh, for, in a commercial setting, meaning that nobody was making anything that they could just buy. And so, that, so they were just doing it on the, by themselves. And they were, in many cases, they were mimicking what they were seeing on the TV. And we dug into this a little bit further and we said, well, why? Why is this so so important to people um, and why were people wanting to do this not only for their kids but as as a family experience and here's what we discovered we discovered that people are no longer um, really happy uh, part always participating in standard activities and what I mean by that is some of the sports that are available to us and activities that are available to us from a recreation point of view within our recreation centers are traditional meaning they're basketball it's volleyball it's badminton it's soccer um, and what we're finding is that a lot of people feel that if they didn't get on a club team when they were four, or if they didn't play, you know, in high school and junior high school and elementary school, that same space, that same sport, what they're finding is that they're not necessarily comfortable or don't feel welcome or really can't compete against uh, so many people who have done that. Does that make sense? So, so. People are feeling like they want to take on a new activity. They want to take on a fun thing to do, but they're finding that there's a big gap between those who are already good at it and themselves. And so what we're finding is that things like obstacle courses, you don't, there are no club teams yet for that. You can't do it since you were four. And so it's sort of a great equalizer. Um, and it's, it's something that people can do of all ages, and it's a bit of an equalizer, too. Um, and it still talks about things that matter to them, like, you know, uh, dexterity and um, fitness um, and uh, endurance and those sorts of things, hand-eye coordination. So here's where it's going. Um, one of them is Game Time, who I, I've been highlighting lately just because I'm, I'm really excited about what they're doing. They're creating some of these um, sort of Ninja Warrior courses, if you will, that are playground quality that can be put inside or outside and available for everyone to play, whether you're an adult or a child. And it's changing the way people think about playing, which is fantastic. The other thing that you're seeing is you're seeing things like um, Spartan races and Tough Mudders and things like that. And what's wonderful about that is you're seeing people of all ages and abilities, all body types and fitness levels participating because they can participate as individuals or they can participate as teams. And so why can't we take some of the things that would be necessary to get better at those sort of events and bring them indoors? Why can't we do some of the skill building things inside our gymnasium and or fitness spaces? They can be certainly part of a program 
um, that's led, but they can also be part of fun. Um, there's no reason why we can't build an obstacle course, say, maybe over a foam pit in a gymnastics area, or maybe we can't, you know, build a version of a, a warp wall or, or maybe some sort of um, rope climbing uh, opportunity or, or monkey bar situation. The idea is that not only is it um, fun to do, but there's a way to take it beyond the, uh, the recreation center and participate with your friends and family in an activity that is out uh, in the outdoors. Um, so that's certainly something to consider. The other thing about this idea of individualized experiences is, and one size does not fit all, that's the trend, is that I don't know where we thought this was an, uh, I don't know why we ever thought this was a, a good idea, but do you remember when, when, uh, when we were kids, and I think my, my kids most recently even had this, is that to reach a certain fitness award in school, they had to do so many of something. You know, I had to do so many pull-ups or run a mile in a certain time, or I had to do, you know, so many sit-ups, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're finding is, and I think uh, there are uh, private groups out there like Orange Theory and others have recognized this, where they say, you know what, what I, you know, what, what I might do by doing 10, uh, I might do 10 push-ups, but you might do 50 uh, push-ups, Becky, and the, te the two of us maybe are actually performing at the same level of fitness exertion. Our bodies are different, you know, or we're different places in life. We have uh, different fitness goals. And yet, um, when we take an aerobics class or when we take a fitness class or when we participate in sports, oftentimes we're all held to the same standard. So much more interested in participating in a group. They still want that socialization, but they want a way to get instant feedback on how they are doing individually so that they know that they're meeting their individual fitness goals. Does that make sense? Instead of everybody trying to meet uh, the same goal, they can all have individualized goals and yet do it together. And that instant feedback is either coming in um, specialized uh, ways that spin and spin bike in instrumentation is set up and or heart rate monitors. That's how the Orange Theory group does it. But the idea is that one size does not fit all and everybody can participate, get the same benefit, but actually do a different levels of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the exercise or uh, participate differently in the activity. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me, especially because it seems like everyone is wearing a heart rate on their watch these days. They're always trying yeah. to figure out how many steps they've taken. So if they can kind of gamify that and put it in a public setting to always try to improve, I could see potential. No, I was going to say that sometimes we think t technology will separate us, right? We wouldn't need to be together. But the truth is, is that by sharing the information in our technology, it actually becomes a bit of a community. I like that. So let's talk about our final trend, which is operations. So tell us your perspective on where operations is going. All right. Well, this one is all about big data. <laughs> so the thing about community recreation centers is that we have struggled over the years to try to find some sort of baseline. Um, now, I know there have been attempts to try to share data, and that has mainly because um, oftentimes we're comparing apples and oranges, right? If I compare a budget from one facility in, say, Memphis, and then another one in San Diego, the chances of us having actually the same criteria for our budgets is going to be very unlikely. So um, the, the trend is that people are desperately seeking information on how they can know how they're doing. And so there have been some pretty significant efforts over the last couple of years to try to work this out. Um, 
one of them, one of the ones that we actually initiated, um, and we're very interested in expanding it, and hopefully others will take on this this uh, this challenge, is we've been benchmarking public recreation facilities. And so far, we've got 16 centers in, in seven states, and we've got 1.3 million square feet um, in our database right now. Um, now we're we're a we're a relatively small operation doing this uh, ourselves, and our our goal is and hope is to grow this um, so that everybody can use the same criteria that we use, so that we can share this information. But the idea is to get as apples to apples as best we can, and the inf and the reason this is important is because once we get information that has been scrubbed, if you will, so that it is uh, the, the same criteria is used, we have the opportunity to then really dig in and understand what is it about the operations of a particular facility that either improves its operations or perhaps hinders its operations. Now, this is not to say that one is more successful than the other because the success is actually defined by each community individually. Um, oftentimes we think, oh, if it doesn't have 100% cost recovery, it's not successful. But that's not true. Um, you know, if a community decides that it wants to provide a certain amount of subsidy and that meets certain of its other goals and it does that, it is successful. But regardless of that, it gives us an opportunity to look at all of these particular centers and ask very strategic questions about the choices that were made about the building, the design, and the operations of it that can give us confidence that the choices that we make will be um, closer, we'll have a better chance of reaching our own personal goals. The kinds of information that we can get, just to give you a sense of why this is so important and why it's, uh, it's something that uh, is trending and becoming more and more really critical to the planning and operating effort, is we're able to understand from the very get-go what we should expect for expenses on a per square foot, for example. We also, and that can even drill down into what we can expect uh, staffing costs. We know that utilities and staffing are probably the most expensive portions of our operating considerations. We can understand utilities. We can understand um, things like uh, uh, where the revenues are coming, things about service areas and size of facility. Here are four things that, um, at sort of conclusions, I guess, that we've come to that you can you can take, and 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 I'll I'll get off this soapbox a little bit, but here's just some things that we've discovered in this this three-year effort that we've taken on. One is that the the total center expenses per square foot and the staffing expenses per per square foot remain relatively consistent, even if the size of the center increases. So that's important to know. It's, it's, it's a much, um, you know, because I think some people felt it would be an exponential differentiation, but no, we found that there's uh, a lot of correlation between the expenses and the staffing expenses and the size of the square foot. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the increase in the square footage. The utility costs per square foot seem to be independent of facility size. Isn't that interesting? Another one is, in most cases, total center revenues per square foot and cost recovery increases uh, as the primary service area population increases. So let me say that again. So in most cases, total center revenues per square foot and the cost recovery increases as the primary service area population increases. So that may seem obvious, but it needed confirmation, right? The bigger audience that you have, you have the uh, greater opportunity for revenues and cost recovery. But there's a threshold there. 
and that's worth understanding. And then finally, here's one that's more of a detailed kind of a thing, but we studied the idea of general fitness classes, right? Should general fitness classes be included in the price of admission or should they be offered as a separate cost? And how does that affect overall cost recovery? And what we found is that centers that offer the general fitness classes as part of their price of admission seem to have an equal or higher cost recovery than centers that don't. And I know we get that question all the time, but now we've got some, you know, we've got some actual data to sort of talk about that and share where that's being a success. The, next, the last thing I want to say about this idea about data, and it's a very simple little nugget to, to take away, is that we're still finding that many of our clients are not doing a comprehensive job of counting every person that utilizes their center. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean? I mean, once people come in, they swipe their card, we've got their data, we know that they've been here, we're good to go. Well, that's true, but what about all the people that come into your facility that don't swipe the card? Many, many, many of the centers that we design and that are out there actually have a whole portion of their center that is open to the community that you do not have to swipe your card to utilize. There's lounges, there's community rooms, sometimes there's... Um, spaces, some meeting spaces, etc. And those people, since they're not swiping their card, aren't being counted. So why is this important? The reason it's important is because in many cases, the mission of these facilities is to maximize participation and understand the impact that this public investment is, is, is having. And for the decision makers who are responsible for committing dollars and resources for these projects, your council people, your special district board, um, whoever it may be, if they can have a more accurate sense of all the people that are enjoying the facilities, not just those that are, that are going past the control counter, they can have much better information to understand the impact that their decisions are making. And I think we can strengthen the idea that community recreation centers are a key component to improving quality of life uh, for, for communities. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that too, because I feel like right now it's been very difficult to quantify all of the data and all the numbers. So the work that you guys are doing is at least starting that process and having a, a more true benchmarking process. So as we sum up today, can you, I know we talked about a lot here. Can you help us summarize or what should people be thinking and doing with this information? Well, the, the, Here's what I would suggest, and um, this is again breaking, going back to where we started at the at the National Park and Recreation Association. One of the things I love about that particular conference and most of the regional and state conferences that we get to participate is that is that it gets people who are focused on this industry out of their focus areas for a brief period of time and gets them thinking about all of the impact to what we need to be considering to do a good job to provide these services and to be able to design them and plan for them and operate them in the future. And so what I think we can take away from this is that when we tend to think about trends or we tend to think about where things are going, we are so often concerned about the thing that is, you know, part of our responsibility. So if we're a programmer, we're all about you know, what programming things can I do? If I'm an aquatics person, I focus on aquatics. If I'm responsible for facility operations, boy, I'm drilling into those particular details. And I guess what I hope to show today is that so many of the things that we're doing are interconnected. You could take any one of the things potentially that we spoke about today and talk about how 
um, there's, they really touch on all of these aspects of what we're doing, planning, operations, you know, when we talked about the gym, it wasn't just the programs that we were there, it was, it was about getting more people in the door, it was about expanding the uh, usability of that space, you know, everybody uh, in the organization can, can find some potentially eat, and so the trend, I guess, the overall trend, and the way to summarize this is that, um, what we need to be doing is we need to be thinking more holistically about the whole aspect of our mission or our aim with creating these facilities and uh, look for cross opportunities for our colleagues and see how the thing that we're interested in might touch them and help them in their goals as well. And those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of solutions, ideas, uh, research things worth pursuing that get to that broader goal, which I think everyone can agree on, which is, how do we maximize participation? And if we maximize participation, we're maximizing value, hopefully, for our community, and we're strengthening the the importance and the commitment to uh, what community recreation can do, increasing the overall quality of life for a community. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for sharing your wisdom, sharing all of these amazing ideas. Um, I've, I've got a list of things I need to go look up and Google. And so I will go, um, I'll actually put the links to those um, in the show notes so everyone else can go locate those as well. But thank you so much for your time today. Becky, I appreciate uh, you including me in the conversation today and uh, best of luck to you. All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please go check out the work that Craig and his team are doing over at BRS. You can find more about them at brsarch.com. And you can also connect with Craig on LinkedIn. Please share this episode with your friends and coworkers if you found it useful. Take a screenshot of it on your phone and share it on social media. And be sure to check back soon for another episode. Thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you soon.